freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> well, we have gotten thoroughly distracted by fish this morning. Mike Lefko with you here on the Brock and Salk Show. Justin, Mora, and myself are just going all in on the fish. And you're right. Everyone's right. I never want to eat again after staring down the face of a Goliath grouper. I thought that might fix it for you. Big old fish. Uh, <laughs> I, I started to think about uh, the scene from Forgetting Sarah Marshall where the guy's like, name me. And he just rattles off humu, the 50. Humu, nuka, nuka, yeah. Yes. Yes. The official state fish of Hawaii. Hawaii. So that's, that's what I thought of. But uh, that's quite a sight. The Atlantic Goliath grouper. World record is 680 pounds on that fish. That's like I wonder it if, looks like a Volkswagen Beetle. I wonder fit. what would happen if Wyman tried to get that fish. Speaking about busting your face in, that might bust his face in. But that's a, that's a fish you'd have to go on a deep sea expedition for. Where did they go, by the way? Justin, you kind of you had targeted it down. So Wyman, Brock, yeah. Tom Nelson, and members of the outdoor line, which um, Wyman was stunned to learn what time the show actually aired on our station. Do you guys know what time it airs? It airs at 6 a.m. on Saturday mornings. And Wyman was like, oh, I don't wake up that early. But, <laughs> yeah, he, he learned that that's when it airs. So they went up into the remote uh, reaches yeah, of... BC. Haida Gwaii is yes, an island off the coast exactly. of uh, BC. Just south of Alaska. Like okay. Catch a can, basically. Okay. And that's where uh, the Atlantic Goliath grouper don't live, I guess. I, no. Saying that they're the Atlantic, I guess, would be pretty pretty helpful yeah. in that part. All right. Well, as we talk about fish, we also are going to look at a couple of things. And Maura, do you want to kind of uh, lead us through this? I mean, you came up with these topics, kind of which are more likely for a couple of things for Seahawks, for Mariners related things, for making fun of Justin and myself. But uh, are you just going to throw one out there and, and we'll, we'll debate it? We can get the texters in there as well. I don't know how we want to uh, we want to break this down, but I can throw it out there. You can you can throw it out there. We can we can see see how we do this. But do we want to play a game? Do we want to just uh, debate? I like how I feel like this is making you nervous. Um, well, you know, we've talked about this. Everything oh, yeah, you, a competition you, you can win. I, I want I want something I can win. So I don't know. Is it something we can win or no? Uh, all right. I don't think so. Here, I'm gonna see if I can play a little music here. Oh, okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. All right. So this one, it's very simple. You're just picking which you think is more likely to happen. Ready? Mm-hmm. Geno Smith is selected to his second consecutive Pro Bowl this year, or Jamal Adams makes his first Pro Bowl since 2020. Mm-hmm. Can we keep track of these? Justin, we're going to write <laughs> these down. See, win. I'm going to win. Would. And all the way at the end of football season, we're going to come back to this. Because I'm sure I'll be filling in at some point in December or January, and then uh, we'll, we'll track these. And the winner gets all the fish that have not been brought in yet. <laughs> but all right. No, I like that question. That's, uh, that's an interesting one. Geno Smith selected his second executive Pro Bowl, or Jamal Adams makes his first since 2020. I'm bound to go with Geno. And it might right. not even be because he has the best season out of any NFC quarterback. He just needs to have a solid to good season again. And there aren't that many good NFC quarterbacks. And that's why we're going to get into this at 930. The Seahawks might have a better chance of making some noise in the NFC than people realize. Because you look at the the quarterback picture in the NFC. It's not great. There are really no superstar quarterbacks that jump out at you across the NFC. So all Geno Smith needs to do is have at least the season he had last year. Which I think 
second full year as a starter, full off season as the starter. He's more than capable of doing that. So I'll go with that. I'll go Geno Smith as the right, as noted. a Pro Bowl pick. Noted. Do you agree? Do the Texers agree? Let's see. Should we get them to weigh in? I course, feel like always. I feel like we're gonna go too quickly. Take, take a break them, from comparing yeah. offensive linemen to fish. Okay. And play the game of yes. Play play the game along with us. Um, what do you think is more likely there? 866-979-3776 on the Mac and Jacks text line. Uh, and follow along because now we're moving on to uh, another Seahawks related question here. Okay, which is more likely, a D Eskridge breakout 2023 season or a Jackson Smith and Jigba breakout rookie season? Hmm. I like that question a lot. Now breakout the definition could be a little different for both these guys because for D Eskridge breakout, it's kind of low. The bar is kind of asking like who the is bar's more likely pretty to be a pretty solid contributor. Yeah. This year. Okay. Um, I don't know. Hopefully I'm wrong. I feel like it's an easy one. I feel like that's Jackson Smith and Jigba Yeah. because he has the cachet of being a first round pick, a guy that everyone kind of thought was the best receiver on the board and maybe could have gone even earlier. If you look back at the 2022 draft, Receivers were flying off the board early on, like in the teens. They were just run on receivers. So the fact that the Seahawks got Jackson Smith and Jigba at 20, I think it's uh, it's going to be huge for him because he brings that, that slot receiver potential. He brings that opportunity to free up things for your other wide receivers. And uh, I don't, I don't want to close the book on D. Eskridge. I just feel like with the trouble that he's had and staying healthy and getting on the field, it's going to be tough to all of a sudden get up to speed and overtake a guy who is so highly thought of in Smith and Jigba. True, but it takes a while to build that chemistry too for Smith and Jigba, doesn't it? With with Gino, so mm-hmm. he's going to have more reps with D. Ooh, are you taking a contrary a contrary opinion? In the right? the Certainly last two years. Are you? Can we officially mark that down yeah. as you saying D. Eskridge? <laughs> all right, that's put, a put win. Put me out there. You know my takes are real hot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all <laughs> like, right. Well, you know what the Travis Kelsey take. That was pretty popular. A lot of people agreed with you. Can't that guy. Yeah. All right. This one is personal, guys. Personal. Yeah. Uh oh. Which is more likely, Lefko shakes the nickname Thumb, or Justin shakes the rumors that Betsy, his girlfriend, oh, is fake? Come on. I see. I knew we would hate this one. Laura just trying to instigate again. Uh, <laughs> or you've met Betsy. These things. No, are, these I don't things think she's are real. Both attached to you guys. Like, which which one's more likely to go mm. away for one of you? First? I I have never met Betsy, and I have been around you a good amount now. That's true. Look and how she, many times we've been on this show. She has asked several times about meeting you too. So. Okay. God, every time I say this, it just sounds so fake. <laughs> it does. Like I listening to yeah, myself my friend explain from out of, it. My girlfriend from out of town. She goes to a different to school. She's a model. She's in a visa. They're right going now. to Portland together this weekend. <laughs> yeah, we we're, we're going to Portland. We're actually gonna. If anybody's in Portland, wants if you're gonna be at the Portland Pickles game tonight, just saying we'll be there. You can meet Betsy. Is this something where like you're the only one who can see her? And, and you think that she's sitting in a seat next to you and people show up and there's just an empty seat. Me talking to somebody. And it's yeah, it's like six cents. Oh, sorry. Spoilers on that 25, 30 years yeah, later. But that's okay. uh, I don't know. I feel like on this show, Justin's going to have more trouble shaking that. And then this has become kind of a core part of your personality, right? Yeah, it's an endearing part of you. I know. People, and you know what? Actually, a few times at Mariners games, when I wasn't working the game, like when I'm not doing any of the hosting stuff, I'm just there as a fan. And I've been with Betsy a couple times. We were there for the fireworks night a few weeks back. And I met a, f- a couple people and I kind of gave the point like, hey, it's Betsy. And, and they, the- <laughs> they gave me the like the fake thumbs yeah. up. Like, OK, sure. <laughs> sure, guy. OK. All right. Uh, you just grabbed this person from the stands next to you. Sure. Okay. Thanks. Hmm. I don't know. I think we're both in agreement on that one. Maura, what do you think? Which one? Yeah. 
Betsy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think the Betsy joke is here to stay because G's not going to let it go. Yeah, no, that's right. Will. He comes on every week. He's not going to let that go. So every week that's going to get brought up time and time again. And until she actually makes an appearance in studio, she's got to set boundaries somewhere. It. You're not going to shake it, Justin. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Uh, one more. Do we have time for one more, real quick? Sure. Maybe. Okay. Real do you fast. want uh, Mariners or uh, NFL one? Ooh, let's do the Russell Wilson one. Okay. Which is more likely that Russell Wilson can't win his locker room back, or that Aaron Rodgers struggles to win over his new one? Aaron Rodgers does not seem like the easiest person to get along with, but I feel like because he has brought in all of his people, all of his yes men and the receivers that are so loyal to him, he's already kind of. Got them under well, his wing. And a pile of MVPs. Yeah. Like, I think it'd be a little bit easier to get on board with that. Yeah, so I think because of how much Russell Wilson struggled when he came in, riding the wave of this is who I am, I'm a big deal, and then didn't do that, it created a lot I'm of friction. A I'm a coach, so, I'm a GM. Yeah, and then you have a terrible season like that. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he will have a better season under Sean Payton, and I'm sure the Broncos will improve. Just feels like some damage has been done that you're not going to just make up in one off season and one season. So yeah, Aaron Rodgers might not go as smoothly as people think with the jets, but Russell Wilson's going to have a lot of trouble completely winning over that locker room, especially if his personality doesn't really jive with Sean Payton. So if Sean Payton comes in and institutes a more of, all right, this is the kind of way we're going to do it. then that's a, a team that's loyal to Sean Payton and the two can go hand in hand, but yeah, Russell Wilson might have some trouble winning that locker room back uh, in the course of one season. So thank you, Maura, for that game. Um, very fun. I will be the winner, Good hopefully. Good luck in your future endeavors of winning this. <laughs> yeah. Good luck in my future endeavors. Uh, this hour, the Brock and Salk Show is driven by Wayscar Ford. And coming up, there's one thing you need to know about this Mariners-Orioles series. We'll get into that next. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Mariners salvaged the series over the Yankees behind four home runs and four runs in the first inning. They go on to win 10 to 2. And Scott Service just saying, you know what? Uh, it all came together last night. Well, you can have the greatest plan in the world. You just got to go out and, like you said, execute it, but really go out and fight and compete from the first pitch. And that's what's frustrating to me last night. I think we did it. We talked about it after the game. We responded. Accordingly, and uh, it's in there. You know, we have the ability to do that, but you have to show up and compete every night. So he saying last night was actually last night. So he was referring to after game two. I know it gets a little confusing in there. The last nights and the last nights, but yeah, after that meeting on uh, Wednesday, the Mariners do put it together on Thursday. They get the win against the Yankees. They drop the series though, and that is something that they've struggled with this season. Getting a series win against a team with a winning record. They've only beaten two teams with a winning record all season: the Astros and the Marlins. That opportunity awaits this weekend. Three begin tonight in Baltimore. Mariners roll out Logan Gilbert and then Bryce Miller and George Kirby on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Game one today at 4.05. Pre-game coverage begins at 3 o'clock right here on Seattle Sports. Although, there is a chance that uh, tonight's game could get affected by weather. We'll get some more insight on that and this entire Orioles team from Nathan Ruiz. He joins us coming up at 8.30 to talk about the Orioles. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Mariners aren't going to have any position player starters in this All-Star game, though. MLB unveiled the finalists at each position. So that was the Phase 1 voting. It came to an end yesterday. Now they have Phase 2 because it's a prolonged process. you got to get the fans involved. You have to hype up all the interest. Uh, usually Canada comes strong. That's a big reason why the Blue Jays have a finalist at nearly every position, as do the Rangers across the American League. But Phase 2 voting 
for the two finalists at each position runs Monday through Thursday. Now, there are two starters that are automatically in there right now. The top vote getters in each league, they are the automatic starters. So you'd have Ronald Acuna Jr. for the National League, top vote getter for the Braves and he will be a outfield spot. And Shohei Otani's in the American League. He is penciled in as the DH. He is the starter there. So that's just the position players. Then the managers, who are the managers from the World Series participants last year. So you have Astros and Phillies managing the AL and NL respectively. They choose all the pitchers. So a good chance the Mariners do get some pitching prospects in there in the All-Star game. But not likely that... Uh, You may recognize a lot of these guys. Certainly not any position players will be out there for the Mariners to start the All-Star game coming up in a couple of weeks. Here's the third thing you need to know. NBA draft was last night, and a consensus pick that was all but assumed would happen did indeed happen. 19-year-old Victor Wenbanyama, who has been listed anywhere from 7'2 to 7'4 or 7'5. I think 7'4 is the official uh, it could be with shoes on, without shoes on. Anyway, he's tall because once you get to the realm of seven feet, I don't think it really matters, especially to us normal people. You're talking about giant and giant, giant more. You know, it's like, hey, this guy's big, bigger, biggest. So seven foot two, seven foot four. Well, he goes number one overall to the Spurs. With the first pick in the 2023 NBA draft, the San Antonio Spurs select Victor Wembanyama from Nantar, France. Well, certainly that might not be of much interest NBA fans out here because, you know, no NBA team yet. But the NBA keeps coming back. They keep coming back to Seattle to play games. So it could be only a matter of time before the Sonics are back in this city because the league announced that Climate Pledge Arena will host another preseason game this upcoming season. The Rain City Showcase was the first time it happened last year. Clippers and Blazers. It's back on October 12th. Clippers and the Jazz coming to town this season. I think as long as Steve Ballmer owns the Clippers. He's going to keep pushing for them to come back because he's been a, a great advocate of basketball here and a very entertaining man to watch his uh, his antics out there. He That's a fan. That is a true fan uh, of his team. That man gets fired up more than anyone I've ever seen. So yeah, Ballmer's Clippers will come back to Seattle on October 12th. And a couple other things uh, you need to know. Rob Manfred, in an interview with Time, says he regrets granting the Astros players immunity during the investigation into their sign-stealing scandal. Now, that was a couple years ago, but I guess he decided, hey, statute of limitations is up. You know what? If I say that they get immunity, no one's going to care now. It's uh, it's still fresh with some people here, especially some on our station. So it didn't go over well when Rob Manfred granted the Astros players immunity because none of them have ever served any kind of punishment. No games were missed. They were not suspended for anything. Now, of course, the Astros front office, their manager, A.J. Hinch at the time, and their front office members, they were penalized. Astros players, clean slate, and guys like Alex Bregman or Carlos Correa never had a... Uh, any time served. Certainly, Al- uh, Jose Altuve didn't as well. They continue to get booed, which is impressive, but no punishment. And Rob Manfred now says he regrets not punishing them or just granting them immunity in that situation. By the way, Justin, you have caused Stacy Ross to catch some strays here with your fake girlfriend because oh, now well. they're equating that to Stacy and Brian, who they well, assume. I mean, is that fake. that was a long-standing thing, much much longer before I got here. Okay, that's been a thing for. How long is that, Mora? They're, they're all getting lumped together now, though. I know. So yeah, I don't I don't well, think people believe, I mean, though. Stacey and Brian have been together for a couple years Stacy Stacey now. and Brian, it's been a while. The Since a- the station Stacey started, maybe. He astronaut, basically. doctor, yeah. a lawyer, too? I will ask I her he when was. she comes in at 9. But yeah, uh, I think some people are excited to try to put you to the test tonight. 
Sounds like you might have some people. So we go to the pickles game. It sounds like you might have some people coming out to, to well, try to meet you. Justin and single-handedly Betsy. just raised the attendance. Yeah. I hope so. It is Bill Nye the Science Guy night at the Portland Pickles game this evening. So they're going to have some science experiments that they're doing. Some players dressed as scientists, I've been told. It's a really fun experience. Now you you're one of, these you're you one of the biggest pickle aficionados oh, I know. Man, yeah, so what kind of what kind of pickle things are you bringing down there? Uh, not bringing down there, but taking home for sure. Some okay. of my favorite pickles in the world come from Portland. So I'll go by the Good Pickle. I'll go by Moonbrine. Um, there's a couple of markets that carry a few others that are that you can only get there that um, that I'll definitely bring a cooler for. Some of your favorite pickles in the world. Yes, yes, come from Portland. Oh. Yes, hundred huh. percent. The Good Pickles definitely right up there. Where else do Good Pickles come from? Uh, Philadelphia's got some good ones. Hmm. Uh, the Fishtown guys. There's some good ones out of Long Beach. I've talked about the Proper's pickles that I absolutely love. There's some good Texas pickles. Um, but New York is really the king. I mean, that's the yeah. the whole you know deli scene over of there. It's really what created the full sours and half sours that are so popular. Yeah, you learn something every every day here. Yeah, I don't, I'm not a half sour guy. So just in case anybody points me to one, no, it's not my thing. Okay, do but not point Justin to those. If pickles you go to Portland, get some Moonbrine pickles and some who knows? the good pickle. Moonbrine. All right. Moonbrine. We're going we're gonna to get on to that. But coming up next, we're going to get a pretty good preview of this Orioles team. Why have they gotten so good so quickly over the course of about a season? Nathan Ruiz, the Baltimore Sun, joins us. It's the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports Station on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Mike Lefko here with you on a nice Friday morning. Beautiful weather here in Seattle. Now, uh, weather maybe not so great in Baltimore, but we get, we're going to get the latest update on that right now. Bringing in Nathan Ruiz, Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore Sun here on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Uh, Nathan, thanks for joining me this morning. Yes, the first and most important question I have for you. Will baseball be played this afternoon uh, in Baltimore? Uh, I haven't heard otherwise as of yet. It's a little gray out, so hopefully that clears up at least a little bit and, and they can get the series going. Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing worse than just anticipating it, getting that baseball going, and then, oh, the rain out. The, the tarp coming out. Where does that rank for you on list of kind of worst things when you, you're trying to cover a game and that tarp just gets rolled out there? That's got to be demoralizing, you know, I think, right? I think for that reason, like, the trop is kind of underrated in Tampa Bay. Like, obviously, you get the hard time, but always the same temperature, always going to play baseball. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit of a weird place to watch the game. Camden Yard's obviously a great place to watch the game, too, but if the tarp comes out, it's a little bit of a drag, but... Hopefully they get this one in tonight. Uh, all right, Nathan, getting into this Orioles team, what a what a great story building up over the last few seasons. But what has allowed them to take the leap from the worst team in baseball in 2021 to 83 and 79 last year, and now an incredible record, a 45 and 28 mark here, and one of the best records in the American League. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that it's the pitching side of things. You look at those 2018, 29, 2019, even 2020, 2021. Like their their pitching was just terrible wasn't major league quality uh and and some of that is guys who are still here now you look at dean kramer had a you know an era over seven in 2021 but he's been a really solid starter for them the past two years but i think you know you look at the bullpen and what they have there just from a stuff perspective you've got felix batista and yannier cano in the back end you've got hard throwing right handers brian baker and mike bauman cnl perez has had his struggles from the left side but he's got great stuff danny coulomb's not a high velocity guy but can really spin it they just have a really interesting mix of arms um, now that, you know, they have stuff, frankly, that they didn't have before. They have pitching available that Brandon High really didn't have at his disposal in prior years. And now you look at this team and you feel confident that it can give them, you know, a chance to win every night. The starters aren't dominant by any means, but on a decent run here, you know, most of their last several games, they've, they've held opponents. I think it's 
you know, 19 of, of 21, 19 of 22 of the past games, they've held their opponent to three runs or fewer out of the rotation. So they're giving themselves a chance to win. And then the, the bullpen's doing a good job of shutting it down from there. So Nathan, where does this go back to? Does this kind of build up, go all the way back to 2018 when the Orioles hired uh, their new GM, Mike Elias? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on what you're pinpointing. You look at obviously that 2018 season, uh, worst record in baseball. They use that subsequent draft first overall pick to draft Adley Rutschman, who the second he comes up in May of last year kind of changes the complexion of the team. Really from that point forward, they really started to play a lot better. It seemed like he really took off a couple weeks after that, had a bit of a slow start. But that 2019 draft to get Adley, who becomes the first, uh, you know, he's the first overall pick because the number one overall prospect, their second round pick in that draft, Gunnar Henderson, he also becomes the number one overall prospect. He started slow this year, but it's taken off of late. So you can go back to that. Um, and, but then you look at even just a couple off seasons ago. I mentioned Brian Baker. I mentioned Cino Perez. Those are two guys that got on waivers out of that. You look at last trade deadline, they have an all-star closer in Jorge Lopez, and they trade him away for four pitchers. And one of those is Yanir Cano. Uh, and, and then, but there's also guys you look at as Cedric Mullins, and Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle. These are guys who are already in the organization when that you know quote unquote rebuild started, and, and now they're kind of you know significant parts of the team. This is not a you know a, a turnover real quick thing. This was a very slow process. People in Baltimore had to really wait through some rough years and now they're being rewarded for it. Yeah. When I look at this Orioles team, I think there are a lot of similarities to the Mariners and what this Mariners team is trying to do. And I know the perception is always, all right, preach patience, but that's hard to preach to fans at times. But is that what has kind of happened with these Orioles, especially the guys you just mentioned, that group of uh, Hayes, Santander and Mullins? I mean, they've been there for a while, right? They have been there kind of through the bad years. And now it feels like they're almost the face of this. What's the perception of those guys who have been there through those past years and now are a key part of the team? Yeah, you know, they, I think, you know, you look at what each of them went through. They started that 2018 season, Hayes and, and Santander at least, started that 2019 season, excuse me, back in the minors. Uh, Hayes suffered a thumb injury uh, in spring training, and that really affected his season. Santander was up and down a little. And then you look at what Cedric Mullins was. He was the opening day center fielder. He took the first at bat of the Elias, Brandon Hyde era, and then he ended that season in double A. Two years later, he has a 30-30 season, and he's an all-star, gave up switch hitting. Look at Austin Hayes leading the American League hitting right now. Santander, an important part of that lineup switch hitter who's always in the middle of the order. And so they, these, those are three guys who, who really had to sit through some tough baseball and play through some tough baseball. And this is something they've talked about. You look at, you know, they were in double-A together back in that, those 2017-2018 seasons, and they talked about, hey, this could be this is the future someday. And, and now they're kind of showing that. You know, those guys, obviously Cedric's dealing with an injury Seems to be getting close to return on a rehab assignment now, but that's a group of guys who's really important to the Orioles team. Usually in the top half of the lineup, and they'll be—they've all been playing pretty well. Well, if we're looking at the uh, Mariners and Orioles parallels, and you look at two highly hyped, highly touted prospects and two tremendous rookies last year in Adley Rutschman and Julio Rodriguez. This year, uh, the expectations for Julio out here sky high, and he has had kind of an up and down season. What was it like for Adley Rutschman? What were the expectations for him after? his season that was similarly good and all the expectations that have been kind of fostered on him since he was drafted number one overall. Yeah. And really those expectations go back before that. You look at, you know, his sophomore season at Oregon state, he was called world series, most outstanding player and was kind of anointed as the next first overall pick. And since then really throughout his junior season that year, he had to deal with pressure. Uh, this is the next guy. This is the next guy. And he handled that excellently, really backed it up, went out, became the number one pick. Very shortly thereafter was the number one prospect. So this is a guy who's kind of faced expectations for, for you know, most of the past decade, give or take. And so he's gone out and, and, and backed them up. You look at the impact he had last season, obviously finishing as the runner-up to Julio in rookie of the year voting, despite not arriving until late May because of a tricep injury in spring training. 
And then he's gone out this season and he's just kind of done the same thing. You know, he's been impactful from both sides of the plate, uh, both as a switch hitter and as a catcher uh, in, in, in those terms, just a guy who really kind of, you know, changes the whole complexion of this team when he's in there. You look at the difference he makes. Uh, Brandon Hyde is praised. The impact he has with the pitchers, you know, he's, just, he's a guy who apparently, you know, in talking to guys, really feels for his pitchers. When they don't have a good outing, he feels that too. When they have a good outing, he's the first guy to be right there and celebrate with them. So he's a guy who's immensely important to this team. I don't know if there's – yeah, it's hard to imagine that there being a more important player to any team in baseball than Adley Rutschman just when you look at this organization from a catching depth standpoint. But immensely valuable player – been as advertised, obviously dealing with those expectations and for the most part have lived up to them. Nathan Ruiz, Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore Sun, joins us here to preview this uh, Mariners-Orioles series. Has Rutschman talked to you guys at all about kind of learning to deal with being the face of the franchise and face of the city? Has that weighed on him or how has he kind of gotten acclimated to being such a presence in Baltimore? Yeah, I think he's handled it really well. He's a pretty calm, relaxed guy. He does show his personality from time to time. But I think he's really equipped to handle this. He's uh like I mentioned, he's been dealing with this kind of situation for a long time now. And I think he's just always been capable of it. He doesn't think too much of it. He kind of, I think he just kind of uses it as a, as a cool thing. He's always kind of been anointed as the face of the rebuild, the face of the franchise. And, and basically even before he was in the majors, you know, he was the guy that people were looking to. He was the guy who, you know, people were checking minor league box scores for each night and he's gone out and, and hasn't let it affect his performance, at least not in a visible way. I'm sure that there have been times where, Hey, it's a lot for him as it would be for any person, you know, in their mid twenties who has a whole city. They're not super familiar with having all of its eyes on him and he's handled it well. And, and it's backed up in his play. Um, okay. Let's move to another guy who, you know, great guy, but didn't work out well here. The Adam Frazier signing last year didn't exactly work out for the Mariners. He becomes a free agent, goes to the, the Orioles and, at first, you know, everything is measured in who the Mariners have now. So when Adam Frazier did something good out there, it got outsized attention. I know it always hasn't been smooth sailing this year, but what's the perception of the Adam Frazier signing and how it's worked out so far for the Orioles? Yeah, he's shown more power. I think he's provided kind of a veteran leader in this infield mix. This organization is, is really kind of top to bottom stacked in infield talent. You look at Gunnar Henderson up in the majors, you go all the way down to low A or high A, excuse me, they have Jackson Holiday, who was the first overall pick in last year's draft. This just is an organization that really, in terms of that rebuild, has really uh, prided itself focused on on up-the-middle talent, and it's reflected now when you look at their farm system. The Adam Fraser signing is kind of one that was viewed as, oh, that's interesting, because they have, you know, because of that infield talent, they do have other options. But I think what he's supplied has been uh, kind of a veteran presence, a guy who's going to give a quality at bat more more often than not. Obviously, the overall numbers aren't there. He has had, if you look at kind of the expected numbers, he has had some bad luck in that regard. But in terms of the actual results, haven't always been there. Brandon Hyde, the manager, loves how he plays second base, and he's you know had some key plays. Just a veteran guy out there. He's kind of I think your prototypical veteran, going to be in the lower half of the lineup more often than not. He did bat lead off a little bit after the Cedric Mullins injury. Didn't really fit in that spot as well as I think the Orioles would have hoped him to. Slid slid back down to the bottom of the lineup, but I don't I don't think he's been you know world breaking by any means. He had a pretty decent stretch last month kind of come back down to earth from that. But I, I think he's just done what he has been asked to do when he signed with the Orioles, which is be a veteran guy, kind of help Gunnar Henderson along. Their walkers are right next to each other in the Orioles clubhouse. And he's just been a guy who I think has helped this team, uh, you know, supply a veteran presence. I don't think that he'll necessarily be the starting second baseman all season long when you have, you know, the options they do, you know, kind of pounding the door in the minor leagues. Uh, that said, you know, he does supply a left-handed bat, which is something they don't have necessarily from those top prospects right now. And uh, they'll continue to put him out there until they determine those guys are ready.
So what has been kind of the weak point of this team or when the Orioles have been beatable? Does it boil down to inconsistent starting pitching or how do you beat this Orioles team? Yeah, I think sometimes there's just nights where the, the at-bats aren't there. They don't really have necessarily a, you know, a big bopper. The, the clutch hitting has been lacking from time to time. That, that said, they have also been on the opposite end of that scale where that clutch hitting has been there. I think sometimes they just run into a really good starter. You saw it the other day uh, in, in St. Pete against Taj Bradley, the you know, uh, Rays rookie top prospect. I uh, went out and shut them down, but the night before they beat Tyler Glass now. So uh, it's an interesting team in that regard. I do think that sometimes the starters don't give them a chance. Sometimes we have seen those outings where the starters, you know, go four innings, give a five runs and the offense just isn't able quite to catch up. I, I do think like the biggest weakness we've seen from this team is just kind of an endless stream of close games. They really haven't blown too many teams out. A lot of their wins have been really narrow, really tight. And then the issue becomes that, you know, I, I talked up front about Yenny or Cano and Felix Batista and how valuable those two guys have been in the back end of the bullpen. But if you're using those guys day after day after day, eventually they don't become available. And Brandon Hyatt has to kind of rely on his secondary options, who for the most part have been effective. But when you don't have your best guys available, that's going to catch up to you at some point. So we've seen that from time to time where he's, you know, Yenny or Cano has pitched three times in four days. So he's unavailable the next day. And then Brandon Hyatt has to go to someone else in the eighth and it doesn't quite pan out. So I think that's how you do it. I think you, you know, you keep them close maybe in game one, game two of the series, and then capitalize from there. But also, you know, these starters are not – they don't have an ace. They don't have a number one. They arguably don't really have a number two type of starter. Tyler Wells is kind of emerging as that, leads, the, uh, leads baseball and whip, uh, but has also been susceptible to the home run. Uh, that said, so they, they don't really have that top rotation type starter. So if you're able to, you know, get to those guys, you have an opportunity to win for sure. Nathan, uh, this is a question we've kind of been kicking around here about what the Mariners need to do to supplement the young core, especially where they might be when the trade deadline finally hits. With where the Orioles are now, what do you see them potentially doing by the trade deadline? And is there an area that desperately needs fixing for them? Yeah, I think, you know, I just talked about one of them. This team lacks a top rotation mm-hmm. starter. Obviously, you know, they signed Kyle Gibson in the offseason. He's been kind of that Adam Frazier of the rotation where he's been a really solid guy, supplied a vet- veteran presence for them. Um, in terms of, you know, viewing him as a one-year $10 million signing who's going to fit into that rotation and be that experienced guy, he's been that. In terms of signing him as, you know, your number one starter, your opening day starter, I don't think that he's necessarily lived up to that. Uh, so it just kind of depends on how you view that signing. So I think, you know, this team has the farm system to acquire anyone it wanted to. Now, whether it would want to give up, you know, the certain, you know, the number and quality of guys it would need to to get a number one ace type of starter remains to be seen. I think as we've seen kind of in recent weeks, they could use some help in the uh, the middle release department. They don't necessarily need another back-end guy. They have Dylan Tate and Michael Givens who are on the injured list right now, and you get those two guys healthy, maybe the complexion changes a little bit. But I do think it's a team that could use another relief arm. And then, you know, there's probably a piece somewhere in the lineup where they can make a move. Obviously, they've had their struggles um, uh, up the middle. Adam Frazier's numbers aren't spectacular. Jorge Mateo's, a, you know, a great base sealer, great defender but it's had trouble getting on base in order to show the base doing skills. Uh, so I think there's an upgrade to be made there. Again, they do have middle infield depth in the farm system. So maybe that's how they address it. But I think there are definitely areas of improvement available to this team. The most pressing being the top of the rotation. Nathan Ruiz, Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore sun has been our guest this morning. Nathan, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Yep. That is Nathan Ruiz kind of giving you the primer on the Mariners Orioles series. Ah, it really feels like a team that has a lot of similarities to the Mariners and maybe more so the Mariners last year and kind of something that we were talking about, Justin, that we've been missing that this year from this Mariners team, that just the ability to win close games or to even play a lot of close games and be in them. And this Orioles team just kind of feels like core of young talent, highly touted prospects. You draw those similarities to the Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, and then you make the parallel to Julio. 
winning close games. Nothing really jumping out uh, about the the offense, but they just have guys that come through. And that was the Mariners last year. And then this year, you look at this Mariners team, and they're 8-14 and 14 in one-run games. So if you're looking for that core and the identity you felt was kind of missing, I feel like that's it right there. They aren't and, winning the close games. And, and I haven't watched a lot of these games, so I don't want to make this sound like this is a total declaration of fact. But it's from the stuff that I have seen, the te- that team's fun. The Mariners had that fun factor going for them. Or sorry, the, the Orioles, are, yeah. that team's fun. The Mariners had that going for them last yeah. year. And they don't this year. And there's a little bit of a feeling of like a dog chasing its tail. And it's like, okay, I got it. Now what do I do with it? That is a, a feeling that I've been left with after last season for the Mariners. And the Orioles are still chasing it. Like that, that chase is really fun. Now it's expand on it. And that's what we haven't been able to see from the Mariners. So you're right. They are a step ahead. And they felt like it felt like a little bit of a leapfrog. But I still, and I don't know if I'm going to get roasted for this, I don't think I would trade rosters. Like, just from a pure what they look like on paper, and I brought this up with Salk and Brock last week, if you were to show me halfway through the season, not starting and watching any of these games, a list of the teams and their rosters, and then a list of records, and try to draw a line to who you think has what record, I would not have the Mariners at all where they are. Hmm. And I don't know if I would for the Orioles either. I know that they're young, hungry, up-and-coming, a lot of talent. I know that they're they're not necessarily top-heavy. They don't have a bunch of money on the books, but it's all confounding. I do, I do want it. That's a fascinating conversation. So maybe, maybe we really dive deep into that. I don't know if we'll have time today. We have a lot coming up. But the thing about fun you mentioned just got me thinking about, uh, have you seen the sprinkler celebration they do? So the Orioles, yes. a guy hits the double. Yeah. Everyone has in water in their mouths, and then he does the sprinkler, and then they all spray it out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the kind of thing that it might sound trivial, but it could lead to moments like that where a loose, relaxed team in clutch moments, and they're not pressing, they're relaxed, they have that belief in themselves, and it feels like that with the Orioles, with those two young prospects that Nathan mentioned to us, Gunnar Henderson, Hadley Rutschman, just, yeah, he was kind of anointed to be a star, and he's lived up to that absolutely. I mean, we know from his time out here, and the fact that a number one pick lives up to those expectations, it is encouraging to see that a second-year guy is avoiding those slumps Mm because it makes you think, all right, Julio can break out of whatever this is. This Mm -hmm. is not a season-long drought for Julio based on what you see out of Adley Rutschman. Everyone's going to have their their lumps, their ups and downs. Uh, You know, it won't be consistent. But watching Adley Rutschman gives you a little confidence that it could click for Julio. Now, one issue is that Adley Rutschman's older. You know, Julio still is very young, so maybe it takes him longer than it takes a guy like Adley Rutschman to bounce back if he has a bad game or a bad stretch. But, uh, yeah, outside of that, outside of Adley Rutschman, I don't know if there's anyone on their roster I'd really take over uh, the Mariners, especially flipping, if you said. If you're just going to flip entire rosters. But that's why it makes it even more confounding. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, why are the Orioles 45 and 28 and the Mariners are 36 and 37? Well, a key part of that could be the one-run games. I mean, 8 and 14 in one-run games. Flip four of those. Think about what you're talking about for this Mariners team. If you flip four of those games, the Mariners have 40 wins right now. They're right there in the mix. They are right in the thick of the playoff race. You're probably feeling a lot better about this team. It just hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. So we haven't seen it. We don't know if it's possible with this group, with this dynamic that they've built. And yeah, it's it's almost strange that you brought up, hey, you'd rather have seen him win a close game against the Yankees. But I get it from that perspective of what Nathan told us. Yeah. And it feels like this series will provide plenty of opportunities. 
it doesn't seem like this is an Orioles team. They'll come out and blow you away. And a guy who covers them every day just told us that. Their starting pitching has been decent. It's been up and down. Uh, they certainly don't have any dominant shutdown starter. They have a, an old Kyle Gibson going today. The Mariners on paper have much better starting pitching, especially what they're rolling out this weekend with Gilbert and Miller and Kirby. I would take those three over anyone because when we've seen them on, they have been on. They've had their blips. They've had tough starts. But those three going up against an Orioles rotation that's one of the worst in baseball, they are. it's a fascinating disparity that their starting rotation has a war that's like in the 20s. It puts them down in the 20s among baseball. Now their bullpen is the best. They have the highest bullpen war of any team in baseball. So that's won them those close games. That saved them in these situations. But the Mariners' bullpen's good especially now with Andres Munoz back. I don't think I've had any feeling of hesitancy or fear that the Mariners bullpen is not going to lock down a game. Now that you have Brash in a more comfortable role, you have Munoz, you have Seawald. I will trust that bullpen every single game. Just can you get the hits in a key situation? Yeah, I mean, we saw Seawald was nails up until just this past series when he blew his first save, but that was something we talked about for the two years before. It was like, can the bullpen repeat? Because we won a lot of these one-run games. And the bullpen shows that they they haven't lost it, but we're not scoring enough runs to give them an opportunity to lose it. And I think that clutch team yeah. can come back if they can just be more consistent with their approach. Like we talked about this with Jerry Depoto. Like, hey, it seemed like they changed things up during the Padre series, and we started to see better at bats, and that somehow they fell off. And he talked about how that frustration starts to seep in when you go zero for eight. It, they just. It's it sounds simple, but apparently it's not because they haven't been able to find it this year. But yeah. if they can find that consistency, the, them being clutch will come back. I do wonder yeah. that if you can all of a sudden through the course of a season, find that if something changes in the clubhouse, if someone like we keep drawing back to Carlos Santana because his absence this year is so glaring in the fact that it seems like, oh, you just plop him in and that fixes it all. And that's not the case. It's more no. complicated than that. But because Carlos Santana was there in such key moments last year, kind of single-handedly won the Blue Jays series here in Seattle, brought out that infield dance and then expanded to the outfield and kind of defined the Mariners season. Heck, he made it into a video game. I mean, it's in MLB The Show now, that dance. Yeah, so right. the fact that Carlos Santana kind of seemed like he was the factor in all of it. And as a mentor to Julio, that's the easiest. Oh, well, he's the difference. So Mm -hmm. it could be someone else on this team that all of a sudden brings them together. One moment, one Colton Wong home run and the chuckles afterwards with the Trident celebration. Maybe that finds something that loosens everyone up and gets them to click. But you're right. We haven't seen that defining clutch moment that has led us to believe that it can just happen all of a sudden. And you mentioned it earlier, the games that the Mariners played against the Rangers early, I think it was in May. Yes. Remember, it was there was that dust up there, and then Julio hits the next pitch out. And there was just these, like, cementing, we belong, we are, uh, like, I don't know if you say we have the clutch gene, but we have another another gear, another speed that we haven't seen yet with this 2023 team. Oh, last year. Yeah, they, last year. Yeah. When, the, when that remember that moment. That, that was the Astros series. That was the Astros but, series. But then yeah. there was Same a Ranger kind of thing, series where right. they came back. Mm-hmm. I remember Suarez hit one out too. Yes, that's right. It was the Astros series. And you but you haven't that was like an identif like an identity moment. And I remember DePoto telling us that too. Maybe they found our maybe we found our identity in that that series. Because you remember with that first two and a half, three and a half months were not fun. And we thought we were going to be sellers about this time last year too. Yeah, and I mean, this stretch, the now less than 19 games remaining until the All-Star break, will probably shape what the Mariners do in the trade deadline. It's a discussion I know we've had across the station because this is going to affect their 
positioning in the American League. You have so many teams that are above 500 coming up in this stretch. The Orioles series is massive. You come back, you get you get a national team that you almost have to sweep. That's where it's gotten to at this point. It was like when the A's were so bad at the start of the year. Oh, okay, anything less than a sweep will feel bad. But then it's the Rays and the Giants after that. And those teams are great. I mean, yeah. the Giants have been spurred on by a 10-game win streak. So all of a sudden, and you want a good parallel for the Mariners, the Giants were having a pretty miserable season. They win 10 straight. They are currently in a playoff position. So that's all it takes is something like that. But we haven't all, seen it. All it takes it. is a 10-game 10, 10 win streak. No, all right. it takes and, is sustained series wins. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can do that against good playoff teams. But the flip side of that, the converse side of that is then you lose to these playoff caliber teams you're losing ground and you're not making up any ground on teams that continue to get further and further away from you yeah and these three against the nationals are the only three before the all-star break Mm -hmm. against a team without with a losing record so at the start of this week before this yankee series i had said that i thought this six game stretch was the most important of the season for the mariners because it was a chance to directly make up ground on playoff teams in front of you they didn't quite do that against the yankees so now, after hearing about this Orioles team, and I know they have been the, the fun team of the season. They got off to that 20-9 and nine start. They have been the darlings of baseball this year. But they seem beatable if everything's executing like it could for the Mariners with the lineup construction, where you said you wouldn't trade lineups. You would not trade the entirety of the Mariners lineup for the Orioles right now. And I agree. I mean, the Orioles have more individually talented players with Gunnar Henderson and with Adley Rutschman than maybe up and down the whole Mariners lineup. But I like the Mariners lineup at its core. And you saw what they did yesterday. Put that effort against the team consistently. It'll lead you in a situation where you have a close game. You just have to find that spark. You have to find someone, whether it's Julio coming up big, whether it's Kelnick who has come through with some big two out RBIs over the past week, the game against the White Sox, as weird as that felt in a win, the Lance Lynn game that they won, Julio came through with a big two-out RBI. Kelnick came through with a two-out bases-clearing triple. Those are moments the Mariners have been looking for. Now, can they do it in a situation that wins them a game? So, we'll see. Uh, We'll talk about this some more, I imagine, with our uh, normal Friday 9 o'clock appointment. I think everyone tunes in just for this. That's what I've been told, that if Stacey Ross wasn't coming on, there would be a riot. So, Stacey will join us next here. It is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com.